Hello and welcome. I am Caleb Ferris. I'm Candy Parker. And I'm Greg Osborne. And this is Action Surge, a podcast where hungover heroes and depressed demons alike can listen to us sages give shitty opinions on all things D&D. Each week we will discuss different aspects of D&D from character creation and world development to the ridiculous antics we have gotten away with in our own campaigns. On this episode of Action Surge, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, world building. Yeah, musical interlude by Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright. Copyright. <laughs> <laughs> you all now owe me a million dollars for some reason. No, uh, that's, that's how capitalism works. Uh, I, I take Venmo, PayPal. <laughs> uh, just write me a check, honestly. Cash. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you guys actually even still write checks? I do. I haven't I'm written a old. check. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> the last check I wrote was probably like a few months ago because I had to. I <laughs> don't know where my checkbook is. <laughs> it could be gone. Everything's just handled so much more smoothly now than I, to write weird things on a piece of paper. I went to the bank and asked for uh, like blank checks so I could void it and give it to my employer. <laughs> but that's it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You have to do that whenever... I've had a few jobs like that. Yeah. In, in my mind, I, I, I just envision our audience sitting there listening going, this has nothing to do with D&D. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's important to talk about these things before we start the game. So I got to understand, what is the economy like of your, of, your, of your world built upon? Is it, is it based on trust? Is it based on a reserve of gold and platinum and silver? Can, <laughs> you, can you write checks even? Or is Paper-based money, coin. Uh, anyways, right. all that has to do with world building yeah absolutely good good <laughs> good transition guys. good transition brought it right back around. um so caleb when when you're world world building how do you start do you go small to big or big to small um more often than not and, I, and actually yeah. let me interrupt you real quick it, explain to people what small to big and big to small means okay so here we go so big to small and small to big world building is a lot simpler than you you might think it is it is simply small to big is you start in a little town, you know, a quiet village in the middle of nowhere, your your folks meet up and, you know, maybe there's trouble in the town or just outside in the creepy wood nearby. Every you day know, like the you, one before. Yeah, right. <laughs> Same as the last, yeah. actually. Um, and, and it just grows from there on as they travel from town to town. And, like, there's this, like, this the fog and your memory about like almost like on a map in a video game where like there's the fog of war, like you don't know what's going on around anywhere you haven't been. Um, and it just kind of develops from there. And that's a really easy setup to do, uh, especially if you're doing a more relaxed campaign. Then there is big to small where you have the entire world almost pretty much mapped out. You've got roads, highways, you've got trading ship routes, you've got countries, you've got political organizations and, you know, non-governmental institutions. Big cities. Yeah, you've got... Identified capitals. Yeah, you've got populations worked out. You've got homebrewed, you know, cultures, languages. Factions. Yeah. Antagonistic factions. The the whole kit and caboodle. And you work down from there. What What is the name of this town? Right? From, from this is the capital of the entire nation to, okay, uh, and then you work down to, okay, but they meet up in, you know. Poto. And, and, and they meet up in, in Poto, Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> Great scones. Great scones. Yeah. Uh, 
right? It's uh, that is that is like the really bad gist <laughs> of what, what big to small, small to big. I think that was perfect. So how how do you how do you do? Do you? Uh, I do small to big. Do you small to uh, big? Absolutely. Okay. Like I already have an idea in my head, of course, of what the world looks like. Simply because I can't not, my head will explode because um, I need things to somehow make sense to me uh, in order for me to actually like anything. Uh, but you know, it's not really a requirement for most people. I don't understand that <laughs> at all. I can't do that. Um, of like, of like my very first campaign, everybody started off in a quiet little, like, like, I wouldn't want to say Christmas village because there was no Christmas in this world, but it was this quiet little multicultural town on a major like roadway on the side of like one side of this mountain range called Faustheim. And it was a place that was, uh, that was mixed elven and dwarvish heritage because, um, because it was in between a very major ancient forest and a mountain range uh, with mixed populations of travelers that came through essentially. And they had a, a small like winter solstice festival that they did. And it was great to go from there and start out with everybody as, as my, as like my time as a first time DM, that was a great place for me to be able to expand onwards. Cause I knew generally in my mind what I wanted to do, but starting off in a small town really lets you do like, meta detail of what your towns would look like going forward and then how you can like develop your governments and who they're beholden to and all that uh, also going forward uh, so that's how usually i usually start is small to big that is so interesting because i i almost always start big to small yeah that's yeah mm-hmm. I, you know i i find it really interesting because you know like stephen king he wrote the book on writing about his writing process mm-hmm. and uh his writing process, he described it as uh, uh, like an archaeo- archaeological dig, you know, with your little brush and you, you oh, start. Oh, archaeology, you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I've got candies. Wow. Uh, <laughs> where, where, you know, you take the brush and you're, you you have no idea what the bone is that you're you're uncovering, but you just uncover a little bit at a time and slowly it builds into this greater mm-hmm. uh, interconnected thing. Yeah, and it probably depends on basically like when you're unveiling this campaign like in my mind i've developed a uh like i've never dm'd anything but like in the future i feel like it's something that i would probably do and that like she's already making a world i'm making a world (laughs) that i wouldn't that i want to create and i'm not playing it yet so i can't start small because if i started small then i can't plan anything you know and that like i can come up with little city names but like if no one's actively using the world and there's nothing to develop for me in my mind at least yeah so. that's the that's the heartbreak of going big to small is yeah. no is just knowing oh that, absolutely you know, yeah oh well there i've got the uh you know the desert wastes the player characters may never once go to the desert waste but by golly i want my npcs to be able to talk about it yeah <laughs> so you know i i start big to small and you know i it, it kind of uh for me, it 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 means that some of my NPCs are going to be more informed about the world at large and and may talk about it in mm-hmm. in greater depth and detail. Um, so, how do you decide how your NPCs know information? Do you like are most of them all knowing? Are most of them not knowing anything, or does it kind of depend on how your players interact with them? Well, I think it. Uh, I try to, when I create NPCs, I try to uh, give them a, a, I give them a job and a personality characteristic 
And based on those two things kind of informs how much they'll know about the world. So like, you know, uh, I might make a gnome merchant. So his job is merchant and his personality type is uh, curmudgeon. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's just a, a, an angry little gnome merchant. He may, so I'm like, okay, well, why is he a curmudgeon? Well, probably he's not doing super well in his, his trade goods, so he's he's just surly all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a self defeating habit or pattern. Poor guy. But I I know he's a merchant, so he probably knows a little more about the world at large than say you know the farmer. The farmer probably is going to know a lot about the local area because he sells his his wares, his foodstuffs. You know, he either takes it to the granary, so he knows a lot about that area, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really know about the cities beyond because he doesn't need to. Well, yeah, no. Outside of your mode of life, right? There's little reason to know a few things, right? But you know, the the cleric in town, the the low level cleric, he mm-hmm. probably knows quite a bit about the capital because he goes there twice a year to celebrate the festivals. Yeah, right. You know, uh, so they're just. It, it depends on the NPC. Yeah. And that's that's how I do it. Um, but, you know, as far as, as world building goes, you know, I I, I start with a map. Mm-hmm. I, I love drawing maps. Oh, um, absolutely. It's so maps fun, especially the ones that they have now that you can make on the computer. Oh, like, yeah. That's so fun. I love doing that. And I had to make maps for my thesis, like actual maps <laughs> that exist in reality. Not fun. These are so fun. Oh yeah, so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna plop a lake down here. Yeah, that, that's yeah. It's very satisfying. Oh, you know, it's even more satisfying to me though is that if you put, pop a lake down and then you explain why that lake is there, and you're like, oh yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, you know why? Because there's a river system that goes through here, or oh, it was been created by a glacier. And then you know, there's some people that'll be like, oh, you don't need to do that at all. And you don't. If it's a magical world, a lake exists because a lake exists. I can't do that. So, <laughs> world building story time. Uh, I, I I started with a map, and in this map, it had this uh, collection of mountain ranges that that did this kind of S shape that curved up, and there was a spur that came off the one of the the top part of the S, and it was a uh, a desert world where there it was just. Very little moisture in the world. It wasn't particularly hot. I mean, the seasons, temperature-wise, kind of followed normal mm-hmm. temperate, but it was just dry, and life had a hard time. Vegetative life had a hard time growing, and so it was a hard scrap of life. And it was kind of uh, dark sun, Athos-like. It was a great campaign, but the the story was is that it's in this world. It wasn't a. They didn't live on a sphere. They didn't live on a globe. It was flat, and on the bottom side of it, one of the creator dragons got into a fight and was thrown into the bottom side of the world. So those mountains are all the impact of this this unconscious greater creator dragon that is slowly healing, and it's healing by sucking the life energy of of this... Planed world. Jesus, that's that's some metal. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> and the PCs eventually figured it out, and you know, and they're like, well, "What do we do with that?" And I'm like, "I don't know. You guys are the heroes." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, that's you know, 
that's what I love about world building is, is it can be so linear, you know, like, you know, this is, this is our world or it can be something completely different. Like literally don't go over there. You will fall off the edge. Right. That's it's, so fun. Yeah. yeah. Flat earthers. Yeah. Except yeah. For that's everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh, the reality. Look at that person over there. They're a round earther. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Why would earth be round? <laughs> How would you not slide off? It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, so um when you're developing a world how like what are some of the components that you think about whenever you're doing that uh i i do major cities and then who occupies the city i i look for the uh political structure of that area you know so it's it's a capital city and maybe a couple of other minor cities um, and then a bunch of small towns. Yeah. And so I have a spreadsheet. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I have a spreadsheet of NPC names, <laughs> alphabetical. Um, and it's a lot. You're so much more organized than uh, I am. Well, you know, I have ADHD, so yeah. I have I mean, to be so super do so do I. I, just, I just focus my ADHD energies differently, I guess. <laughs> I, I do I do hyper focus. Part of my part of my uh, pathology is yeah. hyper hyper focus. So I will when I'm supposed to be doing other things. <laughs> yeah. I mean I hope my wife isn't listening. Uh, <laughs> she will. Uh, yeah, she she's she knows. I don't know why I'm pretending like she doesn't. Um and I'll I'll just spend a lot of time doing things like that, you know, and, uh, but I'll do the political structure of the area and then, you know, kind of a, a little history. So like, uh, in one of the worlds that I'm building, uh, there's the city of, uh, Sid fail. That's why the Sid fail. And it's the city of elves where, uh, it's called the immortal Oak and it's just a giant Oak tree that they have kind of carved out magically the insides and live symbiotically inside this tree they mm -hmm. protect it it protects them and uh they they live there and there used to be a sister elven city that was it's now called the fane because it was where some sort of magic was cast either by the elves of sidfail or the Elves that lived in the Fane mm -hmm. um, years ago, something caused a massive destruction there, and so now it's an area full of blight. And so they're sister cities, but one is dead mm -hmm. and the other's living. And so it's, you know, that these are just concepts that I come up with. So mm -hmm. now I've got sure. two locations. <laughs> and so, you know. Yeah, no. And, um, and, and so it, 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 come, it can come when PCs are making their characters and be like, all right, cool. You want to play an elf? Great. Let me info dump you about elves. Boom. You're from Sid Fail. Because right. all elves are. Unless you're one of the rare few. Unless you're not. <laughs> one of the rare few that came from the Fane who haven't been back to their city because they happened to be traveling when that dark magic went off. Right. And elves live a really long time. So Sure. Yeah. So what are like... Um, like, how do you develop a complex political structure or 
do you do you develop complex political structures? Like, oh, sure, sure. One, I mean, one billion percent. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I know you do. I was just yeah, no. Um, so what I'll do, like, uh, you know, I first, I first, first of all, I would like to say that the Dungeon Master's Guide is fantastic. It's a fantastic resource for this. They they talk about the different types of political structures mm-hmm. from uh, theocracies and majocracies uh, to feudal industrial they, they they break them all down in a, in a very digestible way so I, if you haven't read that section of the dungeon master's guide i, I suggest you mm-hmm. do that um another thing is that i've been doing this so long i've i've played different sets of dnd mm-hmm. um there was this uh setting called birthright amazing setting that's like a, a pre-built yes world. it's like Greyhawk or okay. swords of the coast or dark sun it's called birthright and birthright was great it's uh it basically it was like highlander you know there can be only one yeah. where you kill somebody <laughs> and you steal their power uh-huh. well, it's, <laughs> yeah it it was you know the the gods fought on this on this mountain in this world and killed each other and when they did their essence washed out over the people the other heroes that happened to be fighting there mm-hmm. and they absorbed partial essences of these gods so so you have these scions of god power wandering the earth mm-hmm. and the bloodlines and they naturally it it's an awful awful premise but they naturally <laughs> they naturally rise up in power and become the kings queens high clerics mm-hmm. um guild masters and and powerful wizards of this world and your character is low on the bloodline Potentially, I mean, you might be high on the bloodline. I don't know. Depends yeah. on where you start, but um, but there's this whole mechanic in that world of you can run. It's like a, a separate mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, they call them realm turns. So in a realm turn, you can run your uh, run your guild, or run your priesthood, or or run your your uh, your city. Um, nation mm-hmm. in a particular way and you know you have different regions inside your your nation and so you may have areas that you're strong in weak in and other other uh scions may be stronger in certain areas of your yeah. nation so you know okay. that area might have you know very religious influence and so you have less power there okay. and uh it, it was just really interesting uh, so it's just like like it's it's a pre-built like uh, social political construction that you can yeah. apply to either your world or you could use that one. Yeah. A common theme in D and D is, you know, steal from everybody else's yeah. ideas. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what about, I mean, no, I mean, that's 1 million percent. I mean, if anyone here is a student of David Hume, you would know that nothing is original. <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything is derivative. I mean, even as a, just like a historian, I mean, we were talking the other day about, your world building conflicts um and you mentioned a few like how you create conflict in your worlds when you're talking about like man versus man oh yeah no what we talk about like whenever you want to talk about a world you want to talk about why is it necessary for your players to be able to just absolutely drop kick people like what makes it necessary for them to be able to shoot flames from their sword right you would need a world that needs people to to 
butcher things one way or another, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately and unfortunately, you know, because part of the reason why we play this game is because we want to be cool badasses that beat the crap out of uh, monsters and people alike. Uh, but, but just the really bad ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you really got to ask yourself at the beginning of your world building stage is what is going to be the main like driving force uh, of this world? What is going to be, is it going to be man versus man? Is it going to be man versus nature? Is it going to be man versus self? And then you can go into a million different subcategories. It's going to be, is it going to be man versus government? Is it going to be man versus gods? Is it going to be God versus gods? Is it going to, what, what, like, what is going to be the driving force? And in most of my worlds, it's almost always man versus man. Like monsters are there, but they're just a part of nature. Like, like they're not necessarily the bad people around. It's just like, if you need to get like a bear population to, you know, stop fucking up your small village. Um, that's, that, but that's almost essentially the extent of it. Mine is always just of like the almost like almost like the Witcher uh, uh, treatment of people, where like monsters are terrible and ravage populations, but also the worst monsters are ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so much worse. Yeah, where like like my uh, my yeah. current my current uh, campaign setting that I, I just love so much. I stole this from. Uh, I think Andre the Wordsmith on TikTok. I think that's where I got it from. And maybe another content creator. But uh, it was a it was a brilliant one off little thing that he said. He's like, you know, why why are there quote unquote dungeons in your world? He's like, what if what if dungeoneering was just an entertainment? I was like, Oh, that's brilliant. And <laughs> ran with it. So, yeah. you know, in, in, in this world, uh, you know, scry vision has become a thing. Right. And, you know, <laughs> It's, you know, outside the dungeons, it's kind of like, you know, there's, there are Denny's. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, TJ, there's a TGI Fridays. And a TJ Maxx, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a world. But, you know, it, but the commercialized entertainment of this world is dungeon crawls. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, and it's super dangerous and you can get really, really hurt. But, you know, it's cool because, you know, there are resurrections and. <laughs> reincarnations and you can make a lot of money and, and you can make a lot of money and people yeah. really enjoy watching you know groups of of players going against other groups of players and monsters quote-unquote monsters mm -hmm. right and you know and now uh, in this world you know as many quote-unquote monsters own these sports teams right as and dungeons as the heroes do yeah, yeah. heroes you know so you know you've got the dragon that <laughs> that owns owns a team, and you've got really? the the lich that owns a team, and his twin brother, the wizard, also owns it's a, a team. team. Yeah. And, they, and they hate each other, guys. Yeah. This is just this. Okay, it's Greg, just the NFL. Yeah, I was gonna say, Greg, you're just describing National Football League. <laughs> yes, yes. Nationally, this is fantasy football the way it should be. Yeah, <laughs> a TTRPG. Yes. <laughs> A uh, high fantasy uh, football themed RPG. Yeah, tabletop. <laughs> but it's great. It's so ridiculous, and and I get to you know I, I have just these awfully stupid caricatures of NPCs that that do things. Like my, my current favorite is uh, Topher Stankfoot. <laughs> he's a, a hobbit. Oh, he's, he's, oh, you told me about this guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a sports agent. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> and he just you know. He just wants to get the best deal. He's he he calls himself a sports agent. He's actually the assistant to the assistant to the sports agent. Mm -hmm. Right? But, yeah. But they, sure. It, but, there's yeah. a long line of sports assistants oh, in that oh, family. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> well, yeah. I think one thing you, you also have to mention is like one thing I just gotta say out there for all you DMs that elect 
that elect the way of pain and create your own worlds. Here's Caleb's daily uh, public service announcement. <laughs> yeah, is is that um, don't get too ahead of yourself because there's nothing. The worst part of DMing, the absolute worst part of DMing, is creating something so powerful and so interesting to you, and then your players don't even touch it or they simply don't care about it. And, you know, that's just kind of the territory, though. You can't make your players like something. <laughs> and that is that is something that I try to do, is I try to make it very open-ended. I, like I said, I'll, I'll make a list of non-player characters, but I don't really have anything necessarily for the player characters to do with them. And I let the player characters kind of run that show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there may be, and, and I try to put, like, a mystery or a problem to solve in the area, but I don't have a solution for it. That's not my job. It's not my job. Cho- right. It's not my job to solve mm-hmm. the the kobolds that are have inv- uh, invaded and infested the temple. That's not my job. That's the player character's job, and they will come up with something that is probably way more interesting and uh, and detailed than I will on how they're going to do that. Because they're going to be more invested in what their characters do and how their characters do it. And they will have, you know, if if I try to shoehorn in how they solve that problem, I'm going to miss the way Joe or Bob or or Sarah Sarah decide they want to, you know, their character to solve that problem. Yeah. You know, they've got a, everybody has a definite idea of how their character acts and and does things. So Mm -hmm. don't. Don't steal that agency from them. Yeah. Right. You're also one DM, but they're like five players. Yeah. So that's like five minds against one, which, you know, DMs are infinitely creative. But if they have five people that are teaming up trying to solve a problem, then they're going to come up with even probably better solutions. Even if it, but even if it's just one, even if you're just doing a one shot for one player, you know, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because they, they may not have what you think is a better idea. But because it's their idea, they're going to like it more. Yeah. And so, you know, you've already done the heavy lifting. You've created the world. That's your enjoyment part. And and walking them through this joint experience, that's that's the joy of game mastering. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a, a toll that you're, you have to put on yourself as a DM if you're like, uh, yeah, I created this world that I'm really passionate about, and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, or like, or like they hear about it and they go, "Okay, oof, absolutely the worst, absolutely the worst." <laughs> and they go, "Okay," and I'm like, "I see you are not entertained." <laughs> yeah, Kelly. I don't. I, I have nothing else to offer you. Yeah. <laughs> he got upset at me the other night because he thought that what he did in a game, like. I wasn't uh, that I didn't like, and it was, I think it was just a misunderstanding. But he was like, he's like, I want you to care about my game, and I was like, I do. I just like I was having a character response moment, not like a like a me response moment. <laughs> I like I like did this great unveil, uh, like uh, like unveiling of like a plot point, and she was like, all right, <laughs> or like like it was or like it was like, I made it something a little bit more difficult, and uh, and, and, and uh, her like, character character was just like. Quiet disappointment. My character, my character, my character <laughs> it, was like, "Is that stung. all?" <laughs> it stung so much. It was, it was our 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 game, and like I had found out that basically, like I had went to like the 
the head cleric of the temple or whatever. And I was like, what does all of this mean? And she was like, I don't know, jump in this pool. And, and it, like, I did this like ritual thing and that like, didn't really know what to make of what, ha- what she had experienced. And then, and then I like turned to the, the cleric and I was like, I was like, is that it? And Caleb, like we were talking about it after and Caleb was like, it's like, did you not, like think that was cool and I was like I thought it was cool I liked it me as as Candy liked it my character is exasperated because she's trying to figure out uh, <laughs> like she's been she's been in this mystery world for two years and doesn't know about this like specific thing that she's trying to learn about and all she got from the cleric was you're just gonna have to reflect on that <laughs> and all I got was the stupid t-shirt yeah <laughs> And so, like, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a cool experience. My character is like, dang it. Yeah. I want more. And, and here's the thing, too, though, is in a perfect scenario with perfect party, with perfect group of friends, is you have a world and your friends just interact with it. And it's all, it's all, it's all great. Um, Kenny, you know that doesn't always happen. Uh <laughs> What? Well, you regularly, like, you regularly tell me, hey, I think uh, in this session, I think we're going to need a little bit of a push. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? And you're like, you're like, you're like yeah, you just a little, little, little tap. A little tap <laughs> to send us a direction because we can't, we can't agree on anything. <laughs> <laughs> As a party, we do not know what to do. <laughs> Sometimes DMing is like herding cats. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, for sure. Especially when you have, like, eight rogues and, and like, I don't know. Then another range of rogue architect. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's different. The dynamic is different within each game and each world build. Like, oh, yeah. it's it's so hard to like make your party want to do something that you want to do. And well, yeah, I think that's a blessing and the curse of yeah. the dragons is that you know it's it it is open. Yeah. Okay, and, so to move on a little further, uh, let's let's talk about. Uh, world building morality or, or incorporating morality in your world building settings. Uh, Caleb, what, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, thanks for asking Greg. Uh, <laughs> morality is really interesting because it is the one big thing you need to think about to create a convincing story. And that, that's a loaded term too. What is a convincing story? Almost anything can be a convincing story as long as your players are into it. Right. Um, but one thing I need to think, think about very, very often is is that D and D there is a constant push for like what is good, what is bad, and we know that in real life there's that's really, really blurry. Oh. And especially when you talk about evil and naturally evil beings like devils and chromatic dragons and fiends, it's like okay, but what makes something naturally something that is unshakably born, quote unquote, evil? Uh, like what is what is like is your world that Montekian to where it's like oh there is evil and good there is light and dark there is there is pure objective good and there is pure objective darkness. Well, I, I think because D and D is such a narrative story anyway, so because narration is typically a creator telling you a story, they often to get you to not hate their character will tell it from a position of, you know, well, we're the good guy and these people are the bad guy. It it leads to that kind of stormtroopers are not real people, so you can mm-hmm. just kill them willy-nilly kind of morality. And really, the, the truth of it is, is that, you know, that stormtrooper may have people that liked him and 
or her and didn't want them to die. So, you know, uh, and, you know, you can extrapolate that out to orcs or kobolds or demons, you know. And and, it, and again, narratively speaking, it, it gets difficult when you start talking about these kind of extra planar creatures because there's really not a one-to-one comparison uh, in races and D&D to races and humanity versus, you know, demons and humans. It's not a, it's not a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Because maybe maybe there is something that they're just they're just bad. But if they're just bad, please please have a narrative reason why. <laughs> right. And yeah. that's not to say that you can't enjoy your game by just being like, hey, they're just bad. And we're gonna have that. And you go, yay! And then you just go have fun slaying <laughs> slaying some bad baddies with with you with your friends. Yeah. But I think you would find it a lot more. I think you, listener, would find it a lot more, a lot more like nuanced and rewarding to explore these ideas. That's also why DD is awesome, is because you get to explore these philosophical philosophical consequences with your friends while also wielding a sword. Yeah, and I think that we've probably all experienced something where our players have to contend with something morally like ambiguous, and it's like. Uh, like recently in a game that you play with some of my friends, like, or that you run for some of my friends, like there was like this situation where me and my party were trying to get into a city and there was a toll kind of thing. And we don't want to pay the toll. We thought it was really high. And uh, my character was being uh, snarky like they usually are. And the guards got a little hostile, but it's like third guards. And my character is not like, usually like murderous you know without being provoked but like these people are and so it's like it's like finding a way to stick to your character's sense of morality but also pushing that and I think that there's a dynamic that you can that's interesting and creative without like I don't know like like is it okay to kill these guards and I think that's an internal conflict that's valuable for your pair your players to like why character have big sword if character no kill guard? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but also just for just for like context, it was a shakedown. One hundred percent. These weren't real guards; they were hired on by a logging company in the area to basically keep people like that weren't wealthy out of the city. Yeah, but keep people that were possible inve- that weren't possible investors out of the fucking city. But that information was not known until those guards were dead. <laughs> I mean, that's so, that's that's not true either. You made an insight check, and, I mean, and it, it was like it was like these guys are not professionals. Who well, they are? We made an insight check to know that they weren't uh, doing the right thing. But is that worthy of death? You well, know? yeah, no, absolutely. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, and, and another thing that I would say is that. Well, you left. It's, you didn't kill all of them. A couple were alive. Yeah, I and, know. But and in the D and D world, death is kind of a nebulous concept anyway. In any world where it takes a hundred gold piece diamond gem to bring somebody back from the dead, death is kind of a uh, maybe they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the rich, it yeah. is a maybe they're dead. One of the things I I love doing as a game master is I love doing cutaways. You know, I had a a game where um, the PCs were fighting this this wizard and they weren't very high level and it was the BBGE and they just, they got the drop on him and they 
decimated him in a round. Oof. And so they were like, yeah, high-fiving each other. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's, you know, and it was like the end of the session. I was like, all right, great. All right, we're done here. But let me narrate something for you. <laughs> You're in this dark cave, and there are these uh, series of clay urns that surround the room. And suddenly the room starts to kind of glow with this deep orange-red color. And one of the urns kind of shakes a little bit. It shakes and then falls off the pedestal and smashes to the ground. And inside, this goo-covered man stands up and wipes the goo off of him. And you, you see in the, in the glow of this, uh, of this light the scar that runs from the top of his head to his jawline, which is the same scar that the wizard that they just fought had, indicating that he's not dead and he knows. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, it's a no. bone spell and it's it's totally yeah. D&D no. valid. It's D&D valid and I have also used it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's great to have the characters go, oh no. <laughs> well, yeah, or, or, have the, or have the characters be like, yeah, we just annihilated him. Take that to your plot point, or even just be like, like, ah, oh, he was pretty easy. And then you're just like, you're just like, oh, you think it was easy, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I control the game. <laughs> so anyway, back to back to world building morality. Yeah, um, yeah. When you're when you're building your world, uh, I understand the morality and and just know that it doesn't have to be black or white. In fact, I think some of the most exciting uh, worlds that I've built and played in. Are, are those worlds of gray where, you know, like Caleb said, you know, the, the people are just as bad as the monsters I, I, or worse. I, I, I love those worlds. And I, I really enjoy taking uh, established tropes, you know, of, of the Dark Lord and having the player characters, you know, find out that the Dark Lord's actually, you know, not a terrible guy. Yeah, and and I think as a player, nothing's more disappointing when you find out. I don't know, like you're playing this hugely dynamic character that you've created in your mind that's been developing over a course of of sessions and and in game days, months, years that they're developing complexities, and the rest of the players at the table are developing these huge complex personalities and relationships with themselves and the world, and then you interact with the world and they're just flat. It's just like, this is good and this is bad. And you're like, yeah, but that's not how people operate. People don't operate in these grades. And nothing's more disappointing than interacting with a character, interacting with an NPC that you're like, it's disappointing. And you're just like... (laughs) I love that sigh. It's just so disappointing. It's just just like, you're just like... (sighs) (laughs) I, I want you to be more. I want this NPC, especially like, you just like, you just want them to be more dynamic than they are. And if it's just, they're just like, thought like that thing is bad and that thing is good. And I just want to do this. And so if you're just like, like, even if the player is a simple farmer, they're allowed complex thoughts and complex understandings of the world around them. Even if it just has to do with their little farm. And that makes it so much more fun for your PCs to interact with. Yeah. One of my favorite things is to take high level characters and throw them smack dab in the middle of a level one conflict. <laughs> you know, you have these level 15 wizards and fighters and stuff, and they have to resolve farther, Farmer Green's 
yeah. and dispute. <laughs> <laughs> His farm's encroaching on my farm. Right. You know, well, <laughs> so, this agreement actually affects the stability in the region. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have you have to deal with this thing for <laughs> that. Farmer Brown knows where the MacGuffin is. And he's not going to tell you where that MacGuffin is <laughs> until you figure out this land dispute. Yeah. And they're like, ah, Amazing. Yeah. And, and, I, then, and then to find out that it's actually Farmer Orange's land in the first place. Yeah. Right. And I think it's so fun to interact with uh, PCs or NPCs that are excited to be a part of the world that you're excited to be a part of. And it's fun to interact with, like, players that have – uh, or the NPCs that have morals that match yours, which are like sometimes gray. I don't make the best decisions as a character. This character is morally gray sometimes. Sometimes they like are a little malicious or sometimes they whatever. And it's like, it's fun to interact with people that also do the same thing. And that isn't just like, I'm a good NPC. And I'm a bad NPC. Do that again. I'm a good NPC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, don't don't be afraid to have your uh, your NPCs have accidents. You know, yeah. Where you know this is the good cleric, and and they're typically good people, but in this one issue, they've got it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, or sure. yeah, absolutely. Or, or in this in in the snap instant where they had to make the this decision. They just chose wrong. And yeah. so, you know, there's just these consequences. Yeah. This cascade of consequences. Right. And yeah. I mean, that's just kind of how the world, that's history. Though, oh, is, yeah. is people cleaning up after consequence after consequence because of decisions that had to be made either split second or were well thought out. But in one way or another, it, it was flawed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and like, there's, like, the world exists beyond your, your, your players and that, like, I think that if you want to, um, you know, create a, a complex world, then you then allowing your NPCs to have an impact on it is it, even if it's morally gray, if it's good or if it's bad. I think that's for everyone to decide, and it doesn't have to be like the elves are good. And, well, and here's here's a pro tip for you DMs out there: as you're going through and you 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 finished your evening's campaign take notes because what I love doing is I love when I'm in a long running campaign and I have the player characters, they interact with this NPC and they do something that may be morally dubious or even morally great. And then you subvert that and not the next episode and not the next week after that, but maybe three or four weeks later, not so far that they've forgotten that NPC, but They've kind of forgotten that NPC. You bring in somebody else who's like, you know, yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. You you help that guy by casting Earthquake, and, and you stop the rock golems from destroying his farm. Great. You know what? You changed, you shifted the course of the river. My farm isn't getting any water anymore. You've ruined me. This is Farmer Purple. Yeah. You have to, you have to fix this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, 
You know, like, that's that's actually great though. Like, of like the uh, it's like all of a sudden it's like uh, it's like well the whale dried up, the earth breaks down, the natural aquifer underneath the water, you know, underneath my farm is gone dry. Yeah, right. I think I think one time in in one of the campaigns that you ran, like my character was playing like a nature cleric, and uh, I participated in like we there was some uh, what are the depla- displacer beasts? Oh yeah, displacer beasts that, that yeah. we that were like kind of attacking our camp kind of. And I cast command on both of them and they both failed. And so I just told them to stay and the other players just whacked on them. And Caleb's like, you might have to contend with that later. Yeah, because, well, because at a certain point, these displacer beasts, they were there just to get the horses and fucking run. They were there for a meal. Right. And they're vicious. And they, they, I told the players they're going to bolt. Uh, they're not here to freaking die. Uh, you know these creatures have have you know self like have survival instincts, and um, a couple of my characters were like, "Nope, I'm gonna kill them." And uh, and Candy's character definitely aided in that by making them by having trust with these char- <laughs> with these creatures, and no one tried to stop them from killing the the beasts. And I was like, "Your god might not look too kindly on them." Yeah, <laughs> and and that that honestly like. Ate me up <laughs> because because I was like new to D and D at the time, and I was like, "What? There's consequences for my actions," oh, and yeah. and especially playing like a nature cleric who essentially literally was like a horse girl, like <laughs> like she were a vet. She was, uh, yeah, she was literally like a vet, and I played her that way. And to allow the murder of these like animals was like, and then for Caleb to be like, um, yeah you might have to deal with that later. And <laughs> it never came up again, but I don't know if that was like, uh, it just hadn't gotten there yet or whatever. It didn't matter. But like, it was something that me as a person was thinking about like, Oh no, is this one, is this one I'm going to get a talking to? <laughs> it's like, and, and that's fun. I feel like that's fun as a player to have to like, uh, contend with your like things that you did in the game. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, not everybody would agree with that. I've had, I've, I've definitely had a few, uh, like other characters where, like, I very much have a a believable real world consequence for them, and they hate it. Like that's not the girl, that's not the game they want to play. They're they're like, what do you mean? And they and it, it becomes butting heads, and you know that's something that you also like and need to have conversations about. Is you know. Are they going to be able to accept consequences? It's not even just like accept the consequences of my game, but it's like, but it's like, hey, this like it, this is an understandable thing that's happening. You just did this. This is this person reacting back. Um, are you going to be able to take that or not? And some and sometimes some players they just won't do it. Oh, in, in your yeah. game, when when we sent the bad guy on a uh, wild goose it. chase, and and then next episode he turned up because you know what? He wasn't an idiot. <laughs> I was like. I was like, oh, I hate that. But, <laughs> but, but I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, you know, I was like, no, this guy is incredibly well connected. He just literally made like the D&D version of a phone call. Right. <laughs> to like, find out this information. To that, find out that, that we actually that... murdered the people that he was going to chase. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't happy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually ended up finding out a lot of personal information about, about Greg's character. Yeah. That was, <laughs> in the process. That was not great. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so fun. You're like, ha he'll never discover me now. Comes back knowing your real name, your backstory, <laughs> uh, your favorite color. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, I, it's what I get for being one of the few rogues running around with a Kinku companion. Right. <laughs> kind of stand out like a sore thumb. That's what you get for running around with a mascot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Well, I think uh, we're about to run out of time here, folks. So thank you for joining uh, Action Surge. And uh, we look forward to uh, sharing more D&D content with you next episode. Peace.